Are you ready for Christmas? Are you tired of that question yet? Are you ready for Christmas? Not just December 25th and the celebration of unwrapping presents under the tree, but for the coming of Christ. Are we ready for the coming of Christ afresh and anew into our lives and the world? That's the question we've been asking ourselves this Advent. Uh, we, have, uh, we have heard from the angel Gabriel the last two weeks. Uh, if you weren't here, the angel Gabriel, we've been, we've been unpacking this first chapter of, of Luke in which we hear the Advent story. In chapter 2, we'll hear the Christmas story. Uh, but in chapter 1, we hear this Advent story, this, um, this unfolding uh, of the arrival of God into our world. And we've heard from the angel Gabriel who visited Zechariah in the temple in Jerusalem and um, told him that God was doing a new thing, both in his life and Elizabeth's life and in the world. And then the angel Gabriel left uh, Jerusalem in the temple and went to Nazareth in Galilee, an insignificant town, uh, to visit um, this unwed woman called Mary, to invite Mary to participate in this new thing that God was doing. And we saw last week that Mary said yes to God's invitation. And we heard that we too are invited to say yes to God's invitation. Well, this week, as we continue to follow the story, um, no, no angel Gabriel this week, uh, but we go now from Nazareth back down south to the Judean hills. And it's almost as if uh, Luke is now going to bring these two stories together in that um, we are told that Mary immediately, uh, apparently immediately after having this conversation with uh, the angel Gabriel and agreeing to participate in this, uh, this coming of Christ into the world, uh, this uh, divine conception, uh, that she heads off to go to her relative Elizabeth's house. And so we have this interaction between these two pregnant women. Now, I think sometimes we hear these stories in Luke chapter 1. We even hear the Christmas story that we'll read on Christmas Eve in chapter 2. Uh, we hear these stories um, in the context of after Christ's death and resurrection. And, and sometimes when we hear these stories, we don't hear them in their original context. We don't think about how things really might have been. But let's think about this. Uh, we, we have this uh, in, encounter between these two pregnant women. Uh, first, we have Elizabeth, who is married to Zechariah. A, a, a couple who had longed to have children, uh, but were past childbearing age and were barren. Being told by the angel Gabriel that, in fact, Elizabeth will give birth to a child. And that child, says the angel Gabriel, will participate in some way of being the forerunner of the Messiah. But in addition to that, we see that this 
this child, this promise of a child to Elizabeth and Zechariah uh, removes her disgrace. For you see, in the first century, to be barren and without child was to be shameful and not honorable. And so we see uh, that she has been blessed with this child. On the other hand, we have this young, unwed woman who is pregnant of lowly status from Nazareth. While on one hand, the angel Gabriel may be proclaiming to her that this is a blessed conception. The world will look upon her neighbors and her friends in Nazareth will look upon her with a different view. Instead of seeing her with honor, they will see her with Shame. For how dare someone before their wedding day become pregnant? You see the contrast between these two women. We are told in verse 6 of chapter 1 that uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah We're righteous before God and blameless in observance of the law. Think about that now. They were righteous before God and blameless um, in their observance of the law. What might you expect if Mary, this unwed mother, runs off to her relative Elizabeth who is righteous and blameless? What kind of greeting would you anticipate? What kind of greeting would we likely get today if that happened in a family? Isn't it more likely uh, that it would be disappointment? Isn't it more likely that there would be some condemnation and maybe even rejection? Certainly in the first century, this relative would have viewed this as if Mary were bringing shame to the name of the family. This is the context within which Luke is telling this story. It is important for us to hear that because we're going to read that Scripture in a moment. And we're going to hear that this interaction was not what you would have anticipated in their day and time. And so I invite us to hear these words from Luke chapter 1 with fresh ears, um, understanding what the readers of Luke might have expected versus what actually happens. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, let's start on verse 39. How about that? Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. She entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. 
Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. And then Mary breaks out in this joyous song. With all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honor him. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and he has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to Abraham's descendants forever. This is the word of God. May we hear it and respond this day. Well, you see this encounter between Elizabeth and Mary, it is quite different than what we might have expected Elizabeth experienced this, this leaping, this movement of the child in her womb, and she is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so instead of condemnation and rejection, instead of saying to Mary, how dare you, shameful person, come to my house? She says, To what honor, to what do I deserve this honor of you coming to me? Do you hear this complete reversal of what would be expected? Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, recognizes that God is at work in which by uh, um, traditional uh, human standards would merit only criticism and judgment and shame. Twice, instead of acknowledging or saying that Mary is bringing shame to the family, Elizabeth says, Mary is blessed. To say that she is blessed is to say that she is the recipient of God's gift and God's favor. An unwed, pregnant woman of low status from a nowhere city in, or from a nowhere town in Galilee Galilee called Nazareth. This woman is blessed by God. Well, this ought to set us up 
that there is a lot more to this story than we often hear. And Mary breaks forth in this song. And we need to pay attention to this song. This is not just a a, a praising of God's power. It is not just a praising of what God has done for her, but it is this proclamation, this hard-hitting proclamation that in and through this conception, God has come to challenge the status quo and to overturn the the socio-political society of the day. If we listen to this song, we hear of the great reversal. Mary has realized that um, though the world may see her uh, as some lowly, shameful woman, that God has chosen and invited her to participate in this new thing that God is doing. And regardless about how the world and the people around her may treat her, that in the end, she will be looked upon with favor as we look upon her today as someone who heard the invitation of God and responded with a yes. She understands that in and through her, God is not only doing a wonderful thing for her. I mean, after all, um, kings and messiahs are supposed to be born to uh, wealthy people of status in Jerusalem, not people of low status in Nazareth. Uh, She also sees that in and through her, this common, ordinary person, God is coming to fulfill his, His covenantal promise. And what God has done in her is a manifestation of what God will do through Jesus. And in fact, the song makes it sound as if what God has already done in this divine conception. It is just the beginning of this socio-political revolution that Jesus is going to participate in. Through Mary, this child makes a fundamental shift and change in the way that the people of God are called to act. God is declaring and acting in opposition. The song, make no mistake, the the song talks about God coming in strength and God acting in opposition. Opposition to people who oppress the weak. Opposition uh, to people who are prideful. Opposition to those who grasp for power and status. Um, Opposition to those who greedily accumulate wealth. Mary in her song says, God has scattered the proud. God has brought down the powerful. And God has sent the rich away Empty. Somehow, in this divine conception of this child, God is already acting to overturn the norms of the society in which they lived. He is already working to overturn the status quo. In this conception, at the same time, God is acting graciously for those who are 
lowly on behalf of the outcast and the marginalized. God is lifting up the lowly. And God is filling the hungry with good things. Now we need to be careful because I think oftentimes we hear this song of Mary. We hear it more in terms like this. God has come in Jesus to defeat our enemies and to put us in power. God has come to defeat the enemies of God's people whether they be religious leaders or whether they be uh, political leaders or social leaders, God has come to defeat them and to put His people in charge so that we can act the same way that they did. Isn't that often how we hear that passage? So that now we are the people in power and so now we can oppress. We can be prideful. We can seek status and position. Isn't that often how we hear this story if we're honest with ourselves? That that, that God has just come to change who's in power. I I think that's probably true. uh, But I, I think that God intends for Jesus to be the one in power. Isn't this what Jesus does with his teachings? Doesn't he overthrow the status quo? Doesn't he criticize the religious leaders who who instead of understanding their blessing and their chosenness to to be a responsibility to bless others, they begin by their rules to define who's in and who's out. They begin to build, build barriers that don't allow people to come to God. And at the same time, he challenges the Roman Empire, which insists that the only way to bring about peace is through violence and oppression. Does that sound familiar? The only way to bring about peace is to have a strong army and a strong military and to be more powerful than other people. Do you think that that's what the message of Jesus was? Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's an example in Jesus' life and his death. And when he says, I could have called 10,000 angels, he really could have. But God chooses not to act in the way of humans but he chooses to act consistently with how he created the world. See, he created the world with every intentions that humans should live together in harmony, not striving for power, not striving for wealth, not striving for position or status or privilege, but seeing each other as all being a part of God's creation. Do you hear how radical this story is? Are we really ready for the coming of Christ? 
and the disruption that he brings to the status quo, the challenge he makes to religious leaders even today, that sometimes we act more like Pharisees than like Jesus? Are we really ready for Jesus to come and to challenge our government? Are we ready for Jesus to come and act in that way? Because see, I think Jesus acts the same way he did in the first century. He comes to challenge the status quo. He comes to challenge a world that says the way we exist is to grasp for power, to grasp for privilege, to grasp for wealth, to oppress other people and beat other people down rather than participate in lifting them up. God challenges, he, he, he begins this movement and inaugurates this community where he intends that we will use our influence, that we will use our power to influence rather than coerce people. That we will indeed lift people up rather than beat people down. That we will welcome people rather than send them away, that we will build bridges in which we can reach out to people rather than put walls up to keep them, whoever they are, out of our community. He calls us to use that with which we have been blessed, our resources to bless others, not just to indulge ourselves. Are we ready for Christ to come into our world and into our lives? Are we ready to participate in a great reversal and the disruption of the status quo? Are we ready? You see, God is still one who scatters the proud, who brings down the powerful, who sends greedy, wealthy folks away empty. He's still a God that seeks to lift up the lowly and the marginalized. And He is still a God who promises to feed the hungry with good things. And He calls His people to participate in communities which do exactly that. Are we ready? Are we ready for the coming of Christ? Not just this cute, cuddly baby that we celebrate every Christmas, but the Jesus who offered healing and hope to a hurting world. The Jesus who confronted the religious and the political leaders of his days and said, this is not God's way. Let us, as we get closer to Christmas Day, begin to prepare our hearts and the very depths of our souls for the coming of Christ anew and afresh so that we might embrace the covenant of Abraham 
And we might receive the blessings of God so that we might bless others. May it be so this day and every day. Amen.